The reading is taken from John, chapter 13, verses 12 to 17, and then verses 31 to 35, and you'll find it on page 1081 in the Pew Bibles. Pew Bibles 1081. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than nor, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then verse 31. When he, Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Pam. Shall we pray together before we start? Father God, we pray today that as we've um, sung and prayed and worshipped you and spent time together and we've heard about Beeson, that we might, as we come to your word, uh, learn too what it means to love one another, to love you and to take that love beyond these walls and to love one another as you've loved us. Please teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. You might want to have that passage um, in front of you, and it may be very familiar. We may just uh, look a little bit at the bit beforehand um, as well. So, love one another. For one vicar, that was the extent of his sermon to his congregation. He got up, he stood in front of his church, and he said just those three words, love one another. And then he sat down. There was that awkward pause. Nothing happened. People shuffled in their seats. So he got up again. He moved to the front. And he said again, love one another. And he sat down. Again, a pause, some shuffling. And people may be beginning to guess that perhaps they should actually start to talk to one another. 
So for a third time, he got up, he moved to the front, and one more time he said, love one another. This time his congregation began to get the message, and they began to talk together. They began to find out how each other were and to chat. Now, I could have done that this morning. It was a high risk. I wimped out. But I could have taken that risk and seen how we as Troll Church would respond to those three words. I wonder what would happen. I wonder how deeply we care about each other's needs. How much we have our eyes and our ears open to the pains and fears and struggles and joys that go on in our everyday lives. I wonder how much we can tell or care what is really behind the phrase, I'm fine, which is that standard reply to the how are you question. And I wonder what would have happened if actually we'd all gone outside the church doors, looked over Troll and then said, love one another. What does loving one another as God's people mean as we live amongst the people in this village and beyond? What does it mean to love those that we don't hang out with, that maybe we don't find very easy to love? A neighbour that winds us up, uh, has the television on too loud, or who finds things to argue about with us over the garden fence? Does our love go beyond the safety of our church family? In our sermon series this term, we are looking at the do's and don'ts of living as followers of Christ within our church family and as those that are seeking, if you remember, to be the aroma of Christ outside in our community and beyond. Loving one another is an obvious do, but I wonder how much we really love, uh, let love be at the heart of how we treat one another, speak to one another, encourage one another. I'm not sure that we can really know what it means to love one another without first really knowing where this love came from in the first place. And it's clear if we flipped over to 1 John 4, you don't need to, but if you did, that first and foremost, love comes from God. He's the origin of love. He is love. He's the author of love. And verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love is at the heart of his character. character. He is love. If we want to know what love is, then we look to our Heavenly Father. And this, of course, takes us to his Son, to Jesus, and to the passage we're looking at today. This passage is one that offers us a beautiful view of God's love for us in Christ, as well as a huge challenge in what it means for us to love one another. Jesus is soon to be crucified and is spending time with his disciples. He knows his time with them is coming to an end and he knows what is coming. The meal that he's sharing with his friends is poignant in so many ways and Jesus feels it greatly. But he's also had to listen to his friends bickering amongst themselves and in Luke's version of events, arguing over who of them is going to be the greatest, not treating each other with love at all, but instead fighting for their place of seniority, not building each other up or serving each other, but being demanding and competitive and self-seeking. And of course, Judas is there too, on the cusp of turning away from love to selfishness and betrayal. And John writes in this chapter, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them 
the full extent of his love. Was the full extent of Jesus's love the fact that he then takes off his outer clothing, steps into the role of the household servant and washes the dusty feet of his disciples, including Judas? Of course not. The full extent of Jesus' love for his followers, for them and for us, was that the Son of God, the servant king, went to the cross and died in our place and in doing so made it possible for those who believe in him to be washed clean, washed clean from sin, from every act of selfishness, past and present and future, washed clean from every act that lacked love, that lacked the love of God and of others. That is the origin of love. And in verse 12, Jesus asks his probably baffled disciples, do you understand what I've done for you? And I guess that's what I want to ask us now too. Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? Do we understand the full extent of his love for us? His humble act of obedient love led him to wash the feet of his betrayer and took him to his brutal death. Jesus' love took Jesus took love took Jesus to the cross where he died for those that knew him and loved him and he died for those that betrayed him that hated him and that hammered the nails into his hands and his feet one commentator explains that Jesus showing his disciples the full extent of his love just meant that he takes his love for them right to the very end. He loves them and us to the absolute limit. There is no further place for him to go. 1 John 4 again says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Love is defined by the cross. There's no greater act of love in history. Sitting here, maybe we've begun to know and experience and understand that amazing love. But let's not forget that there is a whole world out there that doesn't yet know, or who do know and don't like Jesus, maybe even hate him, maybe just aren't bothered with him. And yet Jesus died for all people everywhere. So our God is the origin of love. And Jesus has shown us the full extent of his love for us. So here's the challenge. Jesus says to his friends, now that I, uh, now that I your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. And as we go in, uh, on in the chapter and read verses 31 to 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men, all women, and all children will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our challenge is to love like we have been loved by Christ. It's enormous when we think about it. But that's the distinguishing mark of the follower of Christ, is that we love one another with a love that comes from him, that we do as he has done, that we love with a sacrificial and humble love, a love that goes beyond our friends, our church family, and a love that extends to those that are not our friends, who we may even describe as our enemies, to ones who've hurt us, who belittle our faith or belittle us, who have the knack of pressing our buttons who we just find hard to like, 
who we find hard-hearted or uncaring, or who seemingly just seem absolutely impossible to work with. We're challenged to have a love for others that serves, is selfless and doesn't demand, but builds others up. It means we get our hands dirty as we care for others, where a church community will notice and others will see. One writer wrote these, Behold how these Christians love one another. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing for our village to see? To see a church that loves one another and whose love extends beyond the doors of our community and our church to the people around, whatever they're like. Let's just look at verse 34 for a minute. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Well, it wasn't actually new for followers of God to love one another because we know that right back in Leviticus 19, the law says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. God's people have always been commanded to love. But this command from Jesus is new because this command goes beyond what was then the literal neighbour, the Jewish neighbour who lived in the next farm or whatever and was a member of the Israel community, beyond those of the same race or family. Now the command is to all, to both Jew and to Gentile. And that, of course, is what is so radical about Jesus. He showed his love at the cross by dying for all people, for the Jew, for the Gentile, for the tax collector, for the prostitute, for me and for you, for the Syrian refugee, and dare I say it, for Donald Trump. He did. He did. He says in Matthew 5, you've heard what it, that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What does it mean to love our enemies? I find this really hard, but I think that love means that we long for those that we might even consider to be enemies or who give us a hard time or who are difficult and hurt us. We long for them to come to know Jesus and be changed. Isn't that what we long for for those that are closest to us? Well, equally, surely, we as people of love should long for all people to know Christ, to experience his love and the new life he offers whether it's that difficult neighbour, the family members hurt us or treated us badly, the bully of a boss, or even the politician and world leader that makes us angry by his seemingly lack of compassion for needy people. This love that we offer uh, um, from Jesus goes beyond our borders, beyond cultures and race, beyond age and background, beyond politics or sexual orientation, and demonstrating that love begins here, on our front doorsteps. It begins with how we treat each other as a church family and extends beyond our doors to our community and to the communities beyond. And we can begin to understand that when we understand the full extent of Jesus's love for us. So where will this humble act of love take us? Well, for the early church, the gospel was proclaimed, new Christians came into the kingdom and followers of Christ suffered and as, as a result of the love that they showed. Some even died as martyrs for him. And across our world, we know that that still happens. Followers of Christ love one another and love their communities. And as they speak and live for Christ, sometimes they suffer. And some, not infrequently, die for their faith. 
And we know instances, even now, where Christians in Aleppo and in other places are refusing to leave their brothers and sisters so they can stand with them and care for them. It's enormously difficult, isn't it, in this generally peaceful country? But as I I wrote this, I found myself asking myself an awful lot of questions. How loving of others am I really? Am I really? How much am I prepared to go beyond my comfort zone? Uh, to love my church family and those in the community beyond. Jesus washed the feet of Judas, his betrayer. How much am I prepared to go and to serve the lowest, and as we heard in the sermon last week, the weakest members of our church family? Do I put myself out for those I don't really know, for those who are ill or struggling? Do I give up my time to visit someone who can't get out much or who's feeling sad and lonely? Or do I justify my lack of love with those very familiar words, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm sure that someone else has got more time than me and will do it. Do I seek to love and pray for those who may be antagonistic of my faith or do I just avoid them? Perhaps our love of others is dependent on how much we feel others are loving us. Sometimes we just long for someone to show us love and care. And when it doesn't happen, we feel bitterness creep in. And we justify our lack of love with feelings of, it's not fair, no one loves me. So why should I make the effort when I don't get anything back? How much it must have hurt Jesus when his supposed friends fell asleep in the garden and when he went to pray in agony, knowing that he was soon to die. He was constantly loving others and in return was mocked, betrayed, denied, beaten, tortured and killed. I'm not saying that to make us feel guilty. I'm saying it because these are the things that I struggle with week by week. And I am so grateful to the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus who doesn't give up on me and whose love goes on and is unfailing. 1 Corinthians 13 is is probably the most famous verses on love in the Bible. Used so often at weddings, but interestingly written by Paul to a church that actually really needed to learn what love was and had got things really awry and were disagreeing and lacking in love. And he was encouraging the church amongst all sorts of other things to be patient, to be kind and to live out their lives from a foundation of radical and real love for one another. It's so easy to have the church face. I'm good, I'm a vicar's wife, we're really good at that. The church face. As we come in in the morning and we chat over coffee and we're smiling and we're looking loving and then we get home and our face slips and the grumpiness appears. Am I the only one? You don't have to tell me. And then we might just have a little bit of a complaint about the morning or a little bit of a complaint about what we liked or didn't like about the service. How lovely it would be if our love for one another permeated every area of our life, Sunday mornings, home life, work, and the time we spent in our community. How lovely if when we're really tired on a Sunday morning and it's early and the kids are difficult, we can't get them out to church, we'd actually be looking out for others that are struggling and offer support where it's needed. How lovely if we all encouraged one another as we served week by week in different areas of community life and church life and built them up. How lovely if we saw a need and thought that even though it's hard, we could do it and make that difference. 
Wouldn't it be a wonderful sign to those around us and to God? Wouldn't they see love? Now, I see a lot of love in Troll Church, and if I'm honest, I'm sometimes utterly bowled over by the way people love one another, notice one another, serve one another, and go beyond their comfort zone to, to have the energy for both their church family and for their community. And I could stand here and I can list numerous people and situations and things where I've been actually, frankly, in awe of those faithful servants of God in this church family. But let's not get comfy and think that we've nailed it. Remember Adrian's sermon on Vision Sunday? Can you remember it at all? Please nod a little. He said, let's keep doing the basics and let's do it better. <coughs> let's keep doing the basics of loving one another. Let's do it better and see what happens. Keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Continue in his work. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Build each other up and love one another. Amen.